was for God to become man. The only solution. Already, God had provided us, us, us with many ways to know him. He gave us, for instance, the heavens. Filled with stars and planets and creation. Filled with all kinds of animals and creatures and plants. All that bore witness to the fact that we have a creator. But we didn't listen. Instead, we worshipped those stars, those animals, those trees, even human beings, rulers, princes, politicians. We bowed down and offered ourselves to them rather than to the one who made them all. Secondly, God also gave us prophets, holy men who went about and told us, thus saith the Lord, the Lord your God wants to know you. If you will just return to him, he will forgive you. But we didn't listen. In fact, we persecuted and killed those men for the things they said. Thirdly, God gave us his law, which shows us in black and white his nature, his character, how we can know him. But of course, we refused to read it. And what we did read, we intentionally disobeyed. The problem God shows us is not with his communication to us. The problem was with our ability to hear, to see, with our ability to sense and know the presence of God. It's because sin had marred the only way we could be connected with God, that is, his image in us. So the only solution was to renew that image. He became himself an object, that is, God became an object for our senses. This is what 1 John 1 is all about. So that those who were seeking God in sensible things, here we are, thinking God is somewhere among the animals or among the trees or among human beings. God says, fine, you're going to look for me among those things. I will come down and be sensible. Someone you can see, touch, hear. So that in coming, we might apprehend and know the Father once again. Jesus came. He became a human so that he could draw our senses, that we would look to him, that we would listen to him. And then once all of our attention was focused on him, he would then convince us that he was not just man, but that he was God. It's important for us to realize that Jesus in taking on a body was not limiting himself. His body was not a limitation, but an instrument Jesus did not cease to be God when he became man. Instead, he became man in order to convince us that he was God. And then after having convinced us that he was God by his words and by his work, he then went up on a cross as the God-man offering his body as a sacrifice on behalf of us all to settle the account that we as mankind had with death 
and to free us from sin. And in that same act to show us in coming out of the grave that he, as God, is mightier than death. And that, brothers and sisters, is the point of our scripture this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. All that Jesus has accomplished in his death for us. So if you found Hebrews 10, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. This is verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered all for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their hands. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You may be seated. Hebrews 10 begins in a pre-Christmas landscape. It's an Old Testament landscape. The, the law is what's ruling over all the people. And they're offering these sacrifices over and over and over. Thousands upon thousands of bulls and goats and sheep continually offered up. Year by year, verse 1 says, it's a land of shadows. Verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered continually, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. The writer of Hebrews says, in this 
pre-Christmas landscape, this land of shadows, the law cannot, will never give the people forgiveness, perfection, or holiness. Instead, verse 3, in these very sacrifices, what are they being told about themselves? Sinners. There is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. When we are talking about sins against our Heavenly Father, against the Creator God, the thing that we don't want to hear about forgiveness are these two words, never impossible. If I'm looking for a way to have my sins removed from my account, the last thing that I want to hear is that all of my work is accomplishing But in the land of shadows, this is the depressing truth. No amount of law keeping, no amount of sacrificing will ever bring you even a step closer to forgiveness, holiness, or perfection. So, number one, stop living in the shadows. Stop living in the shadows. If you are trying to be good enough to be received by God, trying to make sure that your good deeds outweigh your bad, trying to keep the law or, or some other worthless set of rules that you made up and thinking, if I keep these, God will be pretty happy with me. You're living in the shadows. As though the light has not come, as though it is always winter and never Christmas. It's like these Advent candles this morning. Imagine if the lights were off in here. You could either look at the candles or you could turn your back on the candles and look at your shadow. But the mere existence of your shadow argues that there is light. The fact that you can see your shadow on the floor argues whether you want to turn around and look at it or not that there is a light behind me. So stop spending all your time looking away and realize Christmas has come. The substance, the true form is here. Don't live in the shadows. Look at the good thing that has come. His name is Jesus. And I don't know what shadows you may be focusing on this morning. Maybe you're thinking about an uncertain or a cloudy future. Maybe there's guilt and patterns of sin that are just constantly plaguing your mind. Maybe you're worried. Maybe there's an illness or a loved one that you're always concerned about. Maybe our current political season and all of the transitions that are about to take place in the next couple of months. For some of us, the shadow looks like this. But in the shadow... All we find is a reminder of sin. That's all it can do for you. Remind you that you're a sinner. That's what shadows do. They're a constant, constant consciousness of sin. Imagine a holiday 
whose purpose was to come around every year and just to remind you how terrible you are. <laughs> That's the shadow. That's the law. But when we turn from the shadows and we look at Christmas, we realize if this shadow of sin is cast in my life, it's because of the light. If I'm a great sinner, then I must have a great Savior. When we look at the shadows, we look at the substance. This Christmas, stop looking at the shadows. Whatever it is that's drawing your attention it cannot save you. And whatever good there may be in that shadow that you're putting your faith and your trust in, the only reason it's good is because that goodness is reflecting the true good one, Jesus Christ. Turn to the light. The Old Testament sacrifices were just shadows. Were they worthless? Yes, they were. It is impossible, the author of Hebrews says. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Were they worthless? Yes. Were they pointless? No. The point of all of those sacrifices was to point us to Jesus. The shadows, whatever they are in your life, are there to direct your focus to the light. Will you remain in the shadows this Christmas? We do all kinds of things to justify it. We, we try to celebrate our sin. We surround ourselves with friends, maybe in real life or on, on social media, who are going to celebrate and affirm us in whatever sin we are doing. We sear our conscience. We surround ourselves with distractions so we just don't think about it. Or will we stop living in the shadows and turn to the true form who has come? Stop living in the shadows. Secondly, Christmas is a gift. It's a strange thing to think uh, of death as being a gift, but that's exactly what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Hebrews 10 is all about the death of Jesus and how that death is a gift. And we know the nature of gifts is that every gift has to have a giver. Christmas is a gift from the Father. Look at verse 7. This is the Son of God speaking in the Psalms. Then I, this is the Son speaking, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What will is he talking about? Verse 10. What is the Father's will? And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. And for all. This was the Father's pleasure. This is what the Father desired. That Jesus, having been born with a human body at Christmas, would use that body to give as a gift, an offering from the Father to us. Christmas is a gift from the Father. When you and I go up and look at a crash or a manger scene, what is it that makes it Christmas? Is it the animals around it, the stable, the wise men, the sheep or the shepherds? It's Christmas because when you peer into that manger, you see a human baby. 
Christ came into the world. The author of Hebrews says in verse 5, And he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A body formed from the Virgin Mary was a gift. It was the Father giving us the Son who could die in our place. The gift is from the Father. Christmas is a gift, and it's a gift that is offered in public. You might argue, you know, well, okay, Jesus had to die for us. This was God's will. He needed to die on our behalf. But why did it have to be so humiliating? Couldn't Jesus have just died quietly in a hospital room and nobody find out about it? Wouldn't that have sufficed? Surely that would have been more suitable for him to die quietly and alone. The thing is, though, common men die of cancer or illness or old age. Jesus had to die in public, a shameful death before the eyes of the whole world so that the whole world could bear witness the gift has been given. And if there's no witness of his death, who on earth is going to believe that he's been raised? Or how could the end of death and victory over death be declared if everyone didn't witness his great victory? Christmas is a gift, and it is given in public. Christmas is a gift, and the gift is offered also in power. You see, the thing is, is Jesus offered up his body to be sacrificed, but he didn't choose the way in which he was going to die. He gave his body into the hands of men, and not, not friendly men. He gave this gift, this human body, into the hands of his enemies so that they could have their way with him and do whatever they deemed the worst, most excruciating form of death so that, having suffered death at his worst... Jesus could undo all death in any form. A marvelous and mighty paradox has occurred, Athanasius says, for the death which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious moment to death's defeat. Christmas is a gift, and it's given to us by the Father both publicly and powerfully. Step out of the shadows. Receive the gift of the Father. And this is my third and final encouragement to you this morning. Believe this to be true. Jesus is seated this Christmas. Jesus is seated. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he had perfected for all time those who were being sanctified. So in contrast to the Old Testament priests who are offering year after year, day after day, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices and accomplishing nothing, 
Never impossible for them to bring about any forgiveness, perfection, or holiness. Jesus, by a single offering of his body for us, accomplishes all of that. You know there are no chairs in the temple? Do you know why? Because a priest's job in the Old Testament temple was never finished. They never got to sit down. Jesus makes one sacrifice. And the author of Hebrews says, he sat down. His job was finished. His body was offered once and never again. Jesus is seated this Christmas. And this means three very important things for your life. If you trust in Jesus today, believe this to be true. Perfection is yours. Perfection is yours. The priests keep making offerings to God over and over again, trying to atone for the sins of the people with worthless sacrifices. But this Christmas, how many of us look at the manger and see the body of our Savior and we know that he has come and he's been offered once for all? And then we go back into our life and we try to make sacrifices for God, thinking somehow it's going to make us look better in his sight. God, I'm sorry I worried. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I got angry at my kids again, but I've been reading my Bible like four times this week. I went to church like for a month straight. And I've been praying before every meal. I didn't look at any pornography this week, so God, surely you must be somewhat happy with me. You and I can offer perpetual sacrifices all our life. Or we can believe that we have been perpetually perfected in Christ forever. Those are the only two options. Verse 14. You don't believe me. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified has perfected. That's in the past. Something that already happened. Already done. Inasmuch as you believe that Jesus is seated this Christmas, then you have to believe that you are perfect in him. In the eyes of God. Perfect. In Christ, I am perfect. I want you guys to repeat those words after me. In Christ, I am perfect. Let me hear you. In Christ, I am perfect. Whew, you guys sound like you believe it. <laughs> In Christ, I am perfect. It seems impossible. How could this be the case? I look at myself. We see one another. But this is what the author of Hebrews is saying in the eyes of God. And this is what we need to learn to see. See one another through the eyes of God. I am perfect. And so are you. Not because of what we have done. We can do nothing to add to Jesus. His work on our behalf is finished. It's perfect. We can't add to it. We can't improve on it. We have to receive it as a gift. Jesus is seated this Christmas. And this means not only is perfection yours. Secondly, holiness is yours. Verse 10. 
And by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified, that is, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you believe that Jesus is seated this Christmas, then you can walk in holiness. Holiness is yours. I don't know what sin you are carrying into this Advent season, whether it's jealousy or lust or anger, fits of rage, hatred, grudges, fear, anxiety, deceit, lying. If Christ is seated this Christmas, you can leave them behind. You can. You do not have to walk in sin anymore. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their hands. When we trust in Jesus, he puts his spirit in us and it changes our hearts to want to do what God wants and it changes our minds so that we know how to do what God wants. And you will be holy as he is holy. We talked about this already this morning in Sunday school. If you and I have been sanctified, that means the things that we do, the offerings we lift up to God are not to try to atone for our sins. They are offerings of thanksgiving because we've been made a royal priesthood that God has made a way for us to come into his presence so that when we're doing the dishes or when we're doing schoolwork or we're writing lesson plans, or we're shuttling our kids back and forth to basketball practice, whatever we're doing, we are doing it with thankfulness in our hearts to God as an offering. Because holiness is ours. Because Jesus is seated this Christmas, perfection is yours, holiness is yours, and finally, forgiveness is yours. Athanasius writes, have no fear then. Now that the common Savior of all has died on our behalf, we who believe in Christ no longer die as men died in times past. In fulfillment of the threat of the law, the condemnation has come to an end. I don't care what sin you have committed. You can go and read the law of God and tabulate all the laws that you have broken. It does not matter. You can come to Jesus and find forgiveness for it all. Athanasius says, do you know why Jesus was crucified? Do you know why he had to die in that way? What other form of death does a man die with his arms spread wide open? Forgiveness is yours. It's ours. This is the invitation of a priest who is saying, come to me and all is forgiven. Verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. If the sacrificing has ceased, then so has the sin. 
If Jesus isn't being crucified again and again, then it must be that we have been forgiven. Will you step out of the shadows? Will you receive the public, powerful gift of the Father this Christmas? Will you repent of your fears and doubts and believe that Christ Jesus is seated this Christmas? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this chapter in Hebrews. What a comfort. It seems impossible. We say, impossible, never. Me, perfect, forgiven, holy. God, we thank you that in Christmas, the things that are impossible with man are possible with our great God. Lord Jesus, we trust in you. I pray that these words would be encouraging to my brothers and sisters as they seek to go out and serve you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.